Welcome back to She Bangs, She Bangs, Marriage, Adultery, Texas, and Jesus, a totally spiritual, equally foul-mouthed podcast about marriage, mistresses, and possibilities. I'm your host, Jennifer Bangs. This is the first video episode of this podcast, so if you ever wanted to know what I look like, this is it. Do I look like what you thought? Do I look like I sound? I've been looking forward to this episode not only because I knew I was going to do a video of it, but mostly because I've been wanting to share what I think about everything now that it's all said and done. In some ways, I think this is the most important episode. If anything, it's certainly my favorite. People have asked me over the years if I ever felt guilty for cheating on my husband. And my answer is no. Never. I found that odd because I am a believer in God and I do have a moral compass. And I have lifted up my marriage thousands of times over the years to God. But I can't make myself feel bad for something I have zero remorse over. I mean, I don't like that I became a person who cheated on their husband. I don't like that part and how it reflects on my character. But I've never once felt bad about what it did to James because, number one, he never had proof. I mean, he does now, but I doubt he listens to this. And number two, I don't think he ever shed one tear over it. And that is a pretty shitty way to realize your husband of 11 years felt about losing you. Never blinked away one tear. And I don't really feel guilty about what my actions did to Kate. Sure, She did not deserve me inserting myself into her life. She never did anything to me to warrant the kind of damage I did to her. But I always say, ladies, if you don't put out for your man, don't be surprised when he finds someone who will. Kate never wanted to relate to her husband through the one act reserved for her and only her. You can share bank accounts with other people, you can share companies, you can share children even, but the only person your spouse shares their body with is you. So if you neglect that role, well, then I don't feel sorry for you. I mean, holy hell, it was hard forcing myself to have sex with James after his affair with that blonde from Canada. There were many times I'd think about him with the Canadian, but I knew I had a responsibility as his wife to connect with him sexually. And I knew sex can be healing. But, less people ask me about James and a whole hell of a lot more ask me about Robert. What happened? Was that really the end after you sent the letter? First, I want to say, if you haven't already, please give me five stars or thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening or watching this on. It's really helpful for algorithm purposes, and the more stars you have, or the more comments, or the more clicks, or the more thumbs ups, the more exposure you get. And please, share this story with your friends. Hell, if I've kept your attention this long, I've obviously done something right, so tell your friends. I've been surprised at who actually listens to this podcast. You might be surprised what your friends listen to. For those of you who want to do more than a thumbs up, you can follow the links below and contribute to this podcast monetarily. You can also go to my website, shebangshebangs.com, for more information. This has been a labor of love, and I would so appreciate your support in whatever way you can give. And finally, for those of you who'd like to catch this show in the flesh, 
I will be performing the stage version of this podcast in New York City. If you remember, this podcast was born from the stage show. So if you're in New York this fall or you'd like to come to New York this fall, I will be performing Saturday, December 4th at 7 p.m. and Thursday, December 9th at 7 p.m. Details are below and they will also be on my website, shebangshebangs.com. Okay, finally to the part everyone wants to know about. Did things really end with Robert? By that point, we'd been together for two and a half years. Was that really the end of us after I sent the letter? Welcome to IGTS. Cheers. The epilogue. For storytelling purposes, after I sent the letter, that was the end of Robert and me. God knows how to craft a story, and he knew the most important parts about my marriage and affair were done when I mailed that letter to Kate. I understood the storytelling part of my story was over. I understood that God wasn't interested in me telling the remainder of what was in store for Robert and me, that for some reason the most important parts had been lived, and that's where I should end my book. Robert had given glimpses of his anger and passion when I first moved to New York, but nothing dramatic had I witnessed until I sent the letter. His vitriol was unleashed on me that day he found out I'd written his wife, and he called me hateful, hateful things. He'd never spoken to me like that, but I figured I deserved it by reaching out to his wife when he told me not to. So Robert left me, told me it was over. Just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over, and if I think it over, maybe you'll be coming over again, and I'll have to get over you all over again. We were not broken up very long, maybe like a week. Months later, Robert was fired from a starring role on Broadway. He became suicidal. I took him in, and then his depression turned to anger, and he unloaded on me again. Rage. I threw all of his shit into the hallway and told him it was over. Just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over, and if I think it over, maybe you'll be coming over again. Hours later, he's on my doorstep sobbing. We get back together. Months later, Robert booked a tour overseas, and shortly thereafter, he was fired from that show. He returned to New York, moved in with me, and was a mess, but I loved him, so I powered through. Months later, I found out he cheated on me while he'd been overseas. I confronted Robert about this, but he downplayed it, said he was drunk, that they didn't actually have sex. I didn't know what to believe, and I was finding out about it a year after it happened. I was horrified I was staying with another man who cheated on me, but just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over. Several months later, Robert had another episode out of nowhere, and he moved out of the apartment in a rage and broke up with me. Just because it's over. He didn't move back in, but we got back together, like always. I gave ultimatums to go to counseling. He never did. He got a place uptown, and it kind of became a second home to me. I began taking my memoir and making it into a live show. More time passed, and that summer we went to Cuba. In the water, he told me he wanted to marry me. I told him he wouldn't even need to buy me a ring as I'd take the amethyst from my right hand and put it on my left. We returned to the States and Robert booked another tour out of town. I begged him not to take this job, that I knew if he left, we wouldn't make it, that I feared he'd cheat on me again. He'd been offered a role on Broadway, but he took the tour instead, said it was a better role. 
Considering I had been right about every job he'd ever booked, knowing which ones would be good and which ones would turn out bad, he should have listened to me. But he didn't. He left on tour. I opened my live show this podcast is based on on the same weekend Robert opened his tour out of town. I got word he was very flirty with one of the girls in the show. I confronted Robert over the phone and he got super angry. And then he stopped calling. By this point, we've been together for six years. And my boyfriend of six years ghosted me. Just like that. What followed were the hardest weeks of my life. God started speaking very loudly in those weeks. I'd say it was the most important weeks of my life because God got down deep, gutted me, rooted out this insatiable desire to be with a man at any cost, to go against all principles, all morals, all beliefs, all strengths I had, and not only cheat on my husband, but become a mistress and then still keep this guy around after he cheated on me, after he'd been violent and awful. And three weeks after he ghosted me, Robert texted that his tour had been canceled. He was heading back to New York City the next day. Robert showed up after one of my shows. He had a cast on his arm. He'd broken it when he punched a marble column when he'd gotten the news they'd canceled his tour. Serves him right, I thought. Robert apologized for ghosting me, gave lots of reasons why he was quiet, whatever. Just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over. We got back together like we always did. We'd never been broken up more than a few days in our entire time together. The three weeks of ghosting was the longest, but Robert told me he didn't consider us broken up at this point, just having a long fight. Again, whatever. This is always how it went. We always got back together. Because there was a passionate, often illogical connection between us. But it was undeniable. And it was Thanksgiving, the holidays, times were happy. I was happy he was back. He was no longer on that tour I never thought he should have taken. A month passed. Things were good. Robert came over, hung lights through my entire home, bought Andrew and me a Christmas tree, decorated it. Was feeling like maybe, just maybe, we were going to have our first Christmas together in our six years together. I was elated. Then one day Robert told me he needed to go out of town again, back to the city where he had just been when his tour had been canceled. He said a play reading that he was doing was having an out-of-town opening. What? That didn't make any sense. You don't rehearse plays in one city, fly to another city, open it one weekend, and then fly back to the city you started in. I challenged Robert on this, but he assured me that's what this company was doing. I found it very odd, but there was nothing I could do. He left on a Friday, and I spoke to him that weekend. He was acting funny. Something wasn't right. But I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. The weekend ended and Robert was flying back on Monday and coming over after he landed. I got a text from him Monday afternoon. Just landed. Kate says the kids have the flu, so I'm going to go directly from the airport and go to them. So I'll see you tomorrow instead of today. And when I read those words, a fire rose up in my spirit and said, that is a lie. That entire text is a lie. Call it women's intuition. Call it what you want. But I knew Robert was lying. The next morning, Tuesday morning, I dropped my 11-year-old Andrew off at school and got on the A train, started heading north. I got off at Robert's stop and started walking to his building. I had a key and I knew he was there. Even though he texted he was at his ex-wife's, I knew he was home. Before I got to the building, Robert texted me. Hey, 
do you want to go Christmas caroling later today with my special needs group? What? The text was so nice. I started to respond, but stopped myself. No, Jen, don't respond yet. Something is up. I opened his building front door and then walked into the elevator, pressed the number six. The elevator rose. And as the metal door separated, I could hear someone coming out of their apartment down the hall. I heard the oh-so-familiar sniffling of Robert. I fucking knew it. I fucking knew he wasn't at his ex-wife's house. But ah, I wasn't prepared to see him in the hallway. Do I want him to see me? Do I not? What do I do? So I ran around the corner into the open stairwell before he could see me. I could hear him get into the elevator, and then I thought, no, I want him to see me. And guys, it was like a freaking movie scene. Just as the doors start to close, I shoot my hand into the elevator, and they open back up. Robert looks up from his phone and gets a huge smile on his face. I do not return the smile. I glare at him, and then I make my way to his apartment. Jenny! Jenny! Hey, Jenny, where are you going? He's still in the elevator. I keep walking in his apartment. Jenny, Jenny! He waits to beat them. Jenny, Jenny! Don't go in there. Don't go in there. Who is in there, Robert? Jenny, let's just go. Who is in there? Jenny, let's go. Robert, I'm not leaving until you tell me who is in there. He then drops his head and sighs. Tells me it's the girl from his tour that had just been canceled the month before. I say nothing and walk back to his stairwell. I hear Robert get into the elevator and go down. Even bitch, I'm gonna go into that apartment and I'm gonna see what's going on. I don't wanna hear later, oh, she's just a friend or oh, she just slept on the couch. I wanna see the lay of the land. So I use my keys and I open up his door and I walk in and I take a look around. Blondie is standing there in the corner of the living room, like cowering. I go into the bedroom to check it out and as I'm looking around, I hear her say, What's going on here? I shout from the bedroom, Oh, don't act like you don't know who I am. She says, Oh, I know who you are. It's just complicated. I whip around and shoot back at her. What's so complicated about the fact that he has a girlfriend? And guys, this girl's eyes got wide. He told me you broke up. And she was not lying. That girl was not lying. I see my suitcase on the floor that Robert had taken to go see her in that out-of-town city and brought her back here, had borrowed my suitcase to go cheat on me. I unzip it, take his shit out, and then zip it back up. Well, I say to her, we didn't break up. Have fun! And as I make my way to the door, y'all, as God is my witness, as I looked at her cowering in the corner, she's standing in a large red sweatshirt with big white letters that say, Canada. I think I actually clenched my fist, looked up to heaven, and said, are you fucking kidding me? You are one sick storyteller. <laughs> When I first told people about my concept for doing my live show that's turned into this podcast, people would give me a funny look. But you're divorced, they'd say. Why are you creating a podcast about fighting for your marriage when you clearly lost yours? It was an honest question, and their utter confusion over it confused me because it seemed so obvious why I would write a show about marriage reconciliation. Because at the end of the day, that's always been where my heart was. Reconciliation. My best friend Michelle said it best when James first walked out the door when Andrew was eight months old. She said, of course you'd fight for your marriage, Jen. Anyone who knows you knows that. I guess my husband didn't. Because fighting for your marriage alone isn't something that comes naturally. It actually feels the opposite of what you should do. 
And it's why Robert's wife was so miffed at my letter. Because how could a mistress root for a marriage, let alone the marriage she was defiling being the mistress? But it's what I know in my heart of hearts and what I've carried through this whole podcast saga. That marriage is sacred. You can't just toss it when it doesn't serve you anymore. Any divorced person will tell you no matter how mutual their divorce was, it hurts. I know atheists married for less than a year and their divorce wrecked them. And they were the ones that asked for the divorce. And they're wrecked because marriage is supernatural. God wasn't joking when he said the two shall become one. I don't know how much more engrossing and complete that phrase can be. Don't discount how formidable that is. But you know what? Go ahead and discount it because it doesn't really matter what you think. The reality is you will be bowled over by the power of marriage no matter how much you try to escape it or no matter how much stronger you think adulterous love is. So that's why I did this whole show, wrote this whole podcast, spent years living it and then spent years writing it. Not because I needed to purge myself. No, I did that on my own a long time ago. Now, I did this show to bring a perspective I wasn't hearing being talked about openly, but knew was going on. I did the show to offer hope to those thinking their marriage is in the tank. And I did the show because I'm a storyteller. And this is what I do. Tell stories. And this was mine. I'm glad I'm not with James anymore, but I'm sad we're divorced. And I'm glad Robert isn't with Kate anymore, but I'm sad they're divorced. And I'm glad I'm not with Robert anymore, though I do miss the glorious moments we shared. There was something special there. I don't think either of us would have destroyed our families for anything less than something remarkable. So I want to encourage you that despite my divorce, I still believe with every fiber of my body that your marriage will most likely survive if you want it to. Unless your spouse had a demonic attack to his brain and literally changed into a psychopath, there is hope for your marriage. Buckets of hope, waterfalls of hope, monsoons of hope. But if your spouse did have a brain injury or is addicted to drugs or alcohol or is suffering from something that goes beyond the norm and you end up divorced, I want to encourage you with the rest of this episode. I in no way want to take away from whatever you've already taken away from my story. Well-told stories should spark connections in your own life, and I hope that I've brought you a well-told story. So by all means, you can end the podcast here with all the affection I can possibly shove through these airwaves as I encourage you to check out my other podcast because that story isn't ending. It's a current event thing, and you can still hear my certain take on all things social and political in real time. But because this is my story, I, of course, have my own takeaways. And so I'll share them here. In order for me to land this plane, so to speak, I got to mention a story from years ago. You all know David, the little shepherd boy who killed Goliath with a small stone. Well, that takedown led to David becoming king. And based on the fact that two good friends of mine the other night during one of my Harlem backyard music jams did not know the story, but they were fascinated by it, I will recount it here. David had been made king of Israel and Judah, and one night he's on his roof, strutting like a rooster how awesome he is, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing on her roof, and he summons her over and forces himself on her. Bathsheba's husband is currently out fighting a war for David. And so when she lets David know later that she's pregnant, David sends for her husband Uriah to come home and spend some time with his wife. 
Uriah refuses because he is an honorable man who says it would be wrong for him to enjoy his wife while his comrades are in battle. So then David, the once little shepherd boy who took on a literal giant because the giant was trash-talking God, this once little God-fearing boy, now sends word to the front line to put Uriah on the front line so he can be killed. And so Uriah is killed in battle. David takes Bathsheba as his wife, and David thinks he's good. Wrong. God is not happy with these death arrangements David has made. So God sends his prophet Nathan to go talk to David. And Nathan tells this little tale about this sweet farmer who owns one baby lamb. And he loves this little lamb so much. And one day, a super rich guy walks by and sees the lamb and steals it from the poor farmer, even though the rich guy has like hundreds of sheep and this guy only has like one. And the rich guy takes this little baby lamb, kills it, and eats it. And David becomes enraged at the story and demands the rich guy to be found and punished. And then Nathan the prophet shouts, you are that man. And David is beside himself with grief over his own selfish, murderous pride. And it's here where David pens Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Did you know that David penned half the Psalms in the Bible? Not only was he a king, but he also played the harp and he was a poet. I love artists. Anyway, God strikes David and Bathsheba's newborn baby with incredible illness. And David pleads for God to spare his child. And God says, no. And the baby dies. And David says, okay, I accept. I still praise you. And David comforts Bathsheba, and Bathsheba gets pregnant again with a boy named Solomon, who becomes the wisest king ever to rule Israel. And this story shows me that God can use bad actions and bring about incredible joy. God could take that murderous, adulterous relationship and create a baby who would become the wisest king to rule the land. God can take bad actions and bring about good. God can take my husband's affair and my affair and Robert's affair and make something good out of it. But here's the next part that really gets me and what you're not going to hear from anyone peddling how affairs can lead to good things, how second marriages can be better than the first. Because... Even though God blessed David and Bathsheba and the world with Solomon, even though in one breath it looks like God's all good with everything that transpired, hundreds of years later, in the lineage of Jesus, oh yeah, this adulterous couple were the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, when who begets who begets whom is listed through the lineage of the tribe of Judah all the way down to Jesus, do you know how Bathsheba is named? Uriah's wife. In the annals of history, though Jesus was in the bloodline of David's wife, God never forgot who Bathsheba really was. Uriah's. And that little fact, my friend, is what takes everything I've said here into a new light. This isn't some Johnny and June Cash walk the line love story. This isn't some look how great everything turned out because I'm married to again to a really great person and it's all good. No. There is still something very weighty, very serious about your first spouse, your first wife, your first husband. Even if life moves on and God blesses you immensely, if there was adultery, God remembers. 
Even if Robert and I had worked out and we had this great life and we made the most incredible musicals and blessed the world with our talents, and we would have, even then, I'd ultimately be seen as James's wife and Kate would ultimately be seen as Robert's because there is power in marriage. I don't really understand how, but I understand why. The great analogy of the world, according to Christianity, is Jesus and his bride, the church. And so I think God takes seriously our views and our actions surrounding marriage, not only because it's cosmically the way he chose to communicate his relationship with us, but also because we learn more about ourselves and each other through marriage. You can't hide when you're married. Who you are really comes out. It is the greatest bone slicer industrial colander you can find. And marriage also creates the most intimate beauty a person can ever experience. And marriage can bring forth life in a baby who then can flourish in the legal and spiritual gates of a blessed family unit where there they find security and wholeness. And even if you have an adulterous relationship, even if both of you fall in love and get divorced and marry each other and have this incredible relationship, just like David and Bathsheba, and they had this beautiful boy, Solomon, who fucking wrote the Song of Solomon, like one of the most erotic ancient texts. Clearly, that boy was blessed. But in God's eyes, he wasn't the son of David and Bathsheba, but David and Uriah's wife. Your first marriage still holds weight. It is still significant. God does not lie. He will use lies, but he will not tell them. God can and will bring great beauty out of lies, but he will never stop telling the truth. And the truth is, marriage is a big deal, and breaking it up is a big deal. My last name is Bangs, and I'm going to keep banging the drum that marriage is worth fighting for, even if it hurts, because there is something supernatural about marriage. I don't regret fighting for mine. I take pride that I did everything I could. And because so, I can move forward without regret. And that is a pretty good feeling. Maybe I didn't get the marriage that I wanted, but I certainly got the message. And I've shared it here. This is She Bangs, She Bangs, Marriage, Adultery, Texas, and Jesus. And I'm Jennifer Bangs. Thanks for watching. Da 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 da